uh, series in the book of Romans. Uh, chapter 8 here is our last chapter. And as we, as we come towards the end of that time, I, I find it increasingly important to remind us all of what is true, what we've kind of discovered so far. What is Paul saying? And what do we notice that he is not saying? And what he is saying is that because of our sin and rebellion, that God, in the midst of that, sent his one and only son to redeem us, to justify us, to make us right with God through his life, death, and resurrection. And because we are no longer slaves to sin, we now have the opportunity to choose to be slaves to righteousness out of gratitude for all that God has done for us. And Paul makes it clear that we don't have to live life ruled by our fleshly desires, that in fact now our life is ruled by the Spirit. And finally, as we discussed last week, that Spirit is, is put into us as a, a reminder, uh, an, an assurance that we are God's children, that we've been adopted. As Paul talked about, we've been given the Spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy. And we talked last week about this, this new intimacy between God and man that's ushered in by the Spirit's presence in our lives. Paul has seen a lot. He, he said some very profound things, some very critical things for us to grasp. And as we've shared, living like we really believe those truths is probably our greatest challenge. But it's also important for us to keep in mind what Paul isn't saying. He's not saying that once you become a Christian, that life will just be a piece of cake. And you've probably been in situations uh, in church or in camp settings where well-meaning Christians will come up and, and they'll share their testimony. And they'll talk about how awful their life used to be before they knew Jesus. And then now that they've been saved, you know, life is great and it's amazing and, you know, and there might be some truth to that. But if you're sitting in the audience and you're a Christian and you're struggling with depression and you start to think, well, what am I doing wrong? Why is my life not always great? Certainly our perspective on our circumstances can change. But life here on earth, whether you're a Christian or you aren't, is rife with pain and struggle. We are living in an in-between time. You see, our souls have been redeemed. But our body, we're still living in this decaying body, in this decaying world, filled with disease and war and famine and hatred and greed. And the list goes on. And in fact, on several occasions, the New Testament writers just come out and tell us, guys, in this world, there will be trouble. So how do we endure it? And what should our, spec our perspective be in the midst of it? That's what we're going to talk about today uh, with Paul. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles up to Romans chapter 8, page 785. We left off <clears throat> at verse 17. So let's read that. Chapter 8, verse 17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, on first glance, that kind of seems like a conditional statement. You are God's children if you share in his suffering. But the if there in the original language is really better translated because. So then it would read more like, we are God's children and heirs with Christ because we share in his suffering in order that we also might share in his glory. So in other words, Paul is saying that as God's children, suffering is inevitable. Okay, later on he wrote in, in Timothy, 1 Timothy, this. 2 Timothy, I'm sorry. Chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, that's pretty straight out there, isn't it? <laughs> There's no getting around that, okay? So, why is persecution and suffering inevitable? Well, for a lot of reasons. One is just the fact that we live in a fallen and broken world. And we live in, in a world that is under the reign of Satan, in a world system that despises God and his people. So why? <laughs> why does this world system despise God and his people? The, the, the Gospel of John puts it like this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The people of this world want to do what pleases their selfish, sinful nature. And they don't want God or anybody else to tell them any differently. So that's one reason why suffering and persecution will come. Another reason that we must suffer is because it produces character and maturity in us. Suffering, trials, tests, those things are all uh, the friction that we need to kind of chip off and rub away the, the, the sinful attitudes and behaviors that we all have. They, they act as a change agent. James uh, in his book said it like this in chapter 1. He said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in order to become mature and complete, we have to endure trials. So tell me this. In light of all of that evidence and all of those promises and very clear communication from, from Jesus, from you know, several writers in the New Testament, that, that suffering is necessary, suffering and, and persecution is even something that we should be joyful about because it has some rewards, why do so many Christians, myself included, spend so much time trying to ensure that they never suffer? I mean, many church people are driven to create atmospheres to keep them safe from trouble, right? And so we move out to the neighborhoods where there's not as much danger. 
We, we, we swoop in and rescue our kids in case anything might happen to them that might cause them some pain or discomfort. We stay detached from those people that we meet at work or at church. You know, the people who are kind of needy or maybe a little demanding or just flat out just hurting. Because getting involved in their lives seems like an incredible inconvenience for us because it might cost us something. It might cost us some time, probably definitely some emotional energy we may or may not feel like we have, maybe even financially. And so too often we say things that sound really nice, like, I'll be praying for you, or, man, you should talk to so-and-so because they could probably really help you. Or I read this book once, and it was just, it really helped me. Maybe if you just go read that book, that, that you might be able to, to get some answers. And then we, we quickly exit and, and, and move ourselves back inside this, this fenced-in life that we've kind of created to protect us and keep a safe distance from, from pain and suffering. So what's up with that? That's my question. What's up with that? <laughs> Why do we do that? What's, what's at the root of that? What do we believe? What do we not want to believe? What's at the root of the desire of ours to, to protect ourselves from pain and trouble and, and other people in our lives, our children, our, our spouses, our friends? Despite what we know the Bible says, why do we do it anyways? Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so change or, or circumstances might bring about change, and so it's kind of a little bit of a fear of the unknown, you know. So, yeah, will. Yeah, that's great, which is what I'm hoping to help you with today, is that sometimes we don't even know how to deal with our own stuff. We don't even know the perspective or lens that we should have on what's going on, so then how can I help anybody else? That's a great point. Lack of faith. Lack of faith, okay. Okay. Our faith is not strong enough to handle it. So in, 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 in lieu of that, we, the fear becomes the driving factor in us, self-protection. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely fighting biology, right? I mean, just this factor of you know, we're, we're, we're geared to try to seek comfort you know yeah Devin okay I'm sorry say that last part the pain 
Okay. All right. Yeah. Not sure the pain is worth the reward. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're marketed to saying, you deserve this, you deserve that, you know? Go get a Harley, right? Why the heck not, right? You're worth it. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> okay? If Jesus, Paul, and a bunch of other dudes tell us that suffering is a necessary part of just being human, let alone being Christian then we had better have a theology of suffering. We'd better have a lens in which we can see this through that that gives us hope to endure what is inevitably going to come. And all all of us are kind of all over the map in terms of what we've endured or haven't endured or will endure. So if we haven't endured much, we better understand what we're gonna do when we do And if we have, maybe we need to make sure that we're making sense of it in the right way. So let's see what advice Paul has for us. Let's look at at verses 18 through 25 here. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hoped for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, there's nothing worse than hearing somebody who um, maybe either does have kind of a perfect life, somebody that, uh, you know, just hasn't really endured much or at least presents himself like that, talk about suffering to other people. It, it kind of it seems hollow, doesn't it? It kind of falls on deaf ears. But Paul is not one of those guys. If anybody knows what it means to suffer, this guy gets it. Many of you guys know his story in different letters that he wrote. He kind of cataloged some of his suffering for the gospel. He says five different times, I've been been beaten and flogged. Flogging is what they did to Jesus before they put him on the cross. It's called the cat of nine tails, these you know, whip with leather strips with shards of glass and metal and bone and stuff on it that you'd wrap around somebody's back and pull it off and rip their skin off their back. And it's said that 40 lashes would kill somebody. Paul had that done to him five times, 39 lashes five times. So you can imagine what his back looked like. He was stoned, not the this kind, but the throwing rock kind, okay? He was stoned to the brink of death. They thought he was dead. They left him outside the city thinking we've killed him. He was beaten with rods. And so when Paul walked into town, 
walked into your town. He walked in with a limp. He walked in with a a face disfigured from multiple beatings. He walked in in a cloak with permanent bloodstains on his back. His heart had been broken by multiple friends who had abandoned him in ministry. And so when, when Paul speaks to us about suffering, we better listen. He, he's earned our respect and our attention. And it's also important to keep in mind his audience here in the context of the time in which he's speaking. He's speaking in Rome, okay, the capital of the Roman Empire. And he's speaking to a church who very soon, in the years and decades to come, is going to be experiencing some extremely intense persecution. They're going to have to endure guys like Nero, who would take Christians and stick them on poles and light them on fire as human torches for his parties. He's speaking to people who one day might be grabbed and thrown into the Colosseum to be eaten by lions for people's entertainment. And so when you know that suffering, real suffering, is that imminent and and very possible, it certainly perks your ears up a bit. It certainly makes you count the cost of what it means to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. You know, we get to sit here in this nice little church this morning, not really having to fear many of those things happening to us. So in the midst of that reality, okay, that reality, Paul begins by saying this in verse 18, our present sufferings, okay, and not like I can't pay the bills this month or, you know, cable went out, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In another passage, he described it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, most of us know what it means to suffer at some level, and, and even after we became Christians. Maybe after you became a Christian, your parents got divorced, or maybe your own marriage ended or is struggling. <laughs> maybe after you became a Christian, you got diagnosed with a disease or an ailment or an emotional or mental illness that you deal with on a daily basis, or maybe somebody that you love that you have to care for is dealing with those things. Maybe after you became a Christian, you lost a child, or a spouse, or a friend, or a parent. See, trouble finds all of us at one time or another. And what Paul is saying is that a lot of people, when they experience suffering of some kind, they ask the question, why me? Or why my kid? Or someone that I care about? But the real question The real question is why any of us would be offered grace and glory so great that our present sufferings couldn't even compare to it. Let me say that again. The real question is this. Why any of us 
would be offered grace and glory so great that our present sufferings couldn't even compare to it. The glory that will be revealed in us that day when, when we will finally see ourselves the way God sees us now. So we don't look very glorious now. <laughs> I have, you know, my, my, my uh, I'm trying to drive home my point here about how unglorious I look. My driver's license, well, thank you for not laughing. I appreciate that. You guys are like, yeah, this guy's fragile. Um, <laughs> my driver's license, you know, it's, it's getting close to being time to be renewed. And now that it's like a six-year cycle, you know, my, my kids, two of them this week, looked at my license, and they're like, how long ago was that picture taken? I'm like, yeah, about five years. Both of them said, and you had a lot more hair then, didn't you? <laughs> I'm like, you're grounded. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, you know, we don't look very glorious now. But one day Jesus said this. He said, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You and I, you and I will shine like the sun. And to that I say, why me? What have I done to deserve that glory? That promised future. You see, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? In verse 20, Paul launches into this passage on on creation being subjected to frustration and groaning to be liberated from its bondage to decay. And Genesis chapter 3 is really where we see the frustration of creation beginning. You see, when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, creation paid a pretty big price. Genesis 3 says this, to Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit. See, don't listen to your wife. I knew it was scriptural. And ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. And so the ground suffers. All of creation is torn asunder. And creation groans and struggles under the weight of our sin. And I love what one commentator, how he kind of described it. It's pretty powerful imagery. He said, I wonder whether the, the phenomenon of spring supplies us with a part answer. Nature, every year, as it were, makes an effort to renew itself, to produce something permanent. It has come out of the death and the darkness of all that is true of the winter. In the spring, it seems to be trying to produce a perfect creation, to be going through some kind of birth pangs year by year. But unfortunately, it does not succeed, for spring leads only to summer, whereas summer leads to autumn and autumn to winter. Poor old nature tries every year to defeat the vanity, the principle of death and decay and disintegration that is in it, but it cannot do so. It fails every time. It still goes on trying as if it feels things should be different and better, but it never succeeds. So it goes on groaning and travailing in pain together until now. It has been doing so for a very long time, but nature still repeats the effort annually. Not only does nature groan, but verse 22, it says, the whole creation groans as well. But how do we groan? 
You see, that's the key. What does it say? Look at verse 22. It says, we groan as what? You can say it out loud. It's okay. As in the pains of what? Childbirth. Okay? We groan as in the pains of childbirth. Now, it's a very different thing to hear a scream on a maternity ward as opposed to a scream in the oncology ward. One is a scream of potential life. One is a scream of potential death. In the pains of childbirth, there is something wonderful that you're expecting at the end of that. And so you persevere and you press on, or at least I've been told that's what you do. You see, for Christians, all pain leads to life if we allow it to. If we allow, as James said earlier, perseverance to finish its work. If we don't short-circuit the suffering to alleviate the pain. You see, too often we kind of swoop in and, and we remove ourselves and we remove someone we love from an opportunity for growth and maturity and character development because we just want the pain to be done. But instead, we should press in with hope that the suffering has a point. And maybe God's allowing it for a reason. Remember what Paul said back in Romans 5. Turn back to chapter 5 with me if you could. Starting in verse 3, he says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Well, what is that hope? Back in chapter 8 and verse 24, it says, For in this hope, what hope? <laughs> I want you to turn over to Revelation 21 in the very back of your Bible, page 860. The book of Revelation, if you don't know, is uh, written by John, the same one that wrote the Gospel of John. God gives him uh, an opportunity, a peek into uh, when he, when his return and what will happen and what the world will be like. And in chapter 21, he describes the new Jerusalem. He says, Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So that is our ultimate hope. 
And in verse 25 and 28, Paul says, we wait for it patiently. A better translation, I think, is the New American Standard Bible version, which says this, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So why do we persevere through our present sufferings? It can only be if we believe so strongly that the rewards mentioned in Scripture are true. That'd be the only reason to persevere. You see, it's, it's easier to persevere with things when you're convinced and certain of what's coming. I wonder, though, how many Christians and how many of us here this morning really believe really believe that the things God says are going to be true of us one day are really true. I mean, not just words that we say, but at the core of who we are, that we really, really, really believe it. If we did, would we try to make our life here so comfortable to begin with? You see, our actions prove that we have doubts, don't we? Our faith can fail when the suffering seems too overwhelming or the promises of relief seem too distant or opaque. That's why I love what Paul says next. Look at verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Man, God's got it all covered, doesn't he? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. When our faith falters and we think, you know what, I just, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting the enemy. I'm tired of fighting the pull of this world and the moral and and physical decay that's like this just heavy fog all around me. I'm just tired. And there are times when we just don't know what to say. and, And we can't find the right words. And in the midst of our own suffering, of the suffering of others, we don't know whether to pray, heal me, or, or help me endure it, or both. And it's comforting that in our darkest hours, in the midst of our groaning, when we're kind of at a loss for words, that God says, I got you. I got you. You don't have to have these fancy spiritual words when you come to me. You don't have to to pray the right formula to get what you want. You can just groan. And the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is in active dialogue. Think about this. 
The Father, the Son, and the Spirit is in active dialogue about your life. They're communicating with one another. Man, looks like so-and-so's having a rough time down there. Not only that, but it says the Spirit prays on our behalf in accordance with God's will. Which means this, is that God has to answer what the Spirit prays for us. Because it's in accordance with what he wants to do. So every one of the Spirit's prayers for us gets answered. And who knows more about what we need than the Spirit? It said, the Spirit who searches our hearts. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. God knows what we need more than we do, and and he's praying for us towards that end. Because we are God's children, we will share in his sufferings so that we may also share in his glory. So how is our theology on suffering? Where is our hope? Do we truly believe that whatever we are suffering now or enduring now will pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us one day? Do we truly believe that the Spirit intercedes and prays on our behalf and knows exactly what we need in accordance with God's will? Do we trust God with our suffering? Do we trust God with the sufferings of others that we care about? Here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is is that it's a current and a not yet reality at the same time. Because you see, we will not find ultimate relief from suffering until that day when we were in the presence of God. Okay, so that's the not yet part. But right now, in the midst of whatever we're going through or will go through that we can't even see or know that's around the corner for us, God's with us in the midst of it. And he says this in Psalms says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That doesn't mean that it's always going to turn out the way we want it to. It just means that he's there. I want you to turn back to to Romans 5 again as we close up here. I want to read verses 1 through 5 one more time. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, say it with me out loud, does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts 
by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, Paul doesn't state those things as an option. He says, this is what Christians do. We hope. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and character and hope. And hope does not disappoint us. And guys, sometimes it's a little bit easier to have a theology of suffering when you've suffered. When you're on the other side of seeing God bring you through whatever it's been. Sometimes when you talk to those people, they speak with a conviction and a strength that comes from experience. And so for some of us that that maybe haven't experienced an immense suffering or trouble, one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is, do we, do we help that process by shutting ourselves off from any potential pain? And if so, why? And maybe that's something that needs to be addressed in us. Other times, we need to take the advice of others who have been there. We need to be able to look at Scripture at Paul who says, and we know has suffered much, And he says, we rejoice in our sufferings because it produces something. If Paul could rejoice in his sufferings, man, I ought to be able to rejoice in mine. I've got it a lot better than what he's been through. And guys, as we come to communion today, I just want to remind us and and kind of visualize it as a reminder that we are in this in-between time between what is and what will be. And we have to keep what will be in front of us to make what is tolerable. But in the midst of that, what is right now, we have this presence, this this God who's with us, this God who's in us, not just with us, he's in us, praying on our behalf, there to encourage us or give us strength or whatever it is we need. And so as we come to the table, we, 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 we say yes to that again. We say thank you. We, we accept that. We receive it. We say, God, help me when I'm, you know, in suffering, trials, tribulations, whether it's me or somebody that I love, help me to trust that you're there. Help me to let go and not try to control everything, to, to help people escape from pain. Help me to, to know that you're with me and that I can trust you in that. And so sometimes maybe this morning we have this opportunity, maybe we can confess some things of how we don't allow that to happen very well, how we don't trust God very much, how we, my, our faith falters about believing that our glory will really outweigh anything that we're going through now. God, give me faith to believe that. We all need that. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you in silence now and just, um, just kind of confess where we are. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would really give us a, a, a strong sense of, of suffering, its purpose, the way we're supposed to navigate that as followers of you with this hope that we're supposed to have. So God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. 
I pray that as we lean into you and, and lean into trials and struggles in life, that we would, we would believe that they're a necessary part of our character shaping and our maturity, and that we would lean in and say, God, what do you, what do you have for me in this? What am I supposed to learn? God, help me to persevere so that you can finish your work and not just run for the hills because it's hard. God, thank you that your spirit is in me and is praying on my behalf. God, just hear our prayers as we give you some time of just silence today.